Retro synthesizer porn. Oh, have you seen this thing? This is really cool. This was built the year I was born. Well, the original one was the um, the original Moog uh, modular system. Now, when when Bob Moog was creating his his first commercially available synthesizers, they were these giant things that were like bar fridges that you strap together with uh, miles and miles of uh, patch cords. And one of the guys he had working with him was Keith Emerson of the band Emerson, Lincoln Palmer. And he had these gigantic walls of synthesizer modules on stage with him. He had six people that would look after this thing when the band was on, on tour. took six people to control it? Well, not to control it, but to move it and care and feed for it, because these things were delicate, and they required an awful lot of, well, patch cording in order to, um, uh, in order to, to, to um, operate. Now, Keith Emerson's also had uh, uh, an opening at the top that fired rockets, but uh, so they needed a pyro guy. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. I'm dead, dead serious about that. So, so sidebar, in our uh, at the Business News Network, the Switcher, which is the the big console that you know, switches different cameras and all sorts of different sources, we bought it from the World Wrestling Federation, <laughs> and it it's pyrotechnic as well. So when they cut to my camera, they can trigger pyrotechnics. <laughs> That's awesome. You imagine at BNN. Let's check the stocks. Kablooey. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, sidebar over. Uh, so, so what they've done, what Moga's done is they've, they, they, they've had to retro-engineer the Moog mo modular uh, in time for the 50th anniversary of the release of this thing. And uh, people are going you know, nuts about this because it's, see, it's an analog synthesizer that's put together with, with patch cords, which means even though you put it together the same way each time, because of the nature of the circuitry, it won't quite sound exactly the same each time, which makes it rather interesting and temperamental. But and because it's an analog synthesizer, the sounds are just, you know, they're, they're things that you have a really hard time um, duplicating in a digital environment. So, uh, you know, people are, are, are just like nuts about these things. You know who we should bring in on this conversation? Who's that? Jason Am from the documentary I Dream of Wires. Oh, yes, absolutely. That's, uh, I want to talk to him about this. Yeah, because uh, they were down at uh, the big Mog Fest, and uh, he showed off his, his big documentary at the time. Joining us now is Jason Am of I Dream of Wires. Jason, thanks for joining us. Hi. So what made you want to sit down and document the history of a very specific synthesizer. Well, I didn't start the project. It was actually um, the director of the film. I'm the producer on, on I Dream of Wires. And the director of the film uh, started the project on his own. Um, 
And actually, what it was that he, uh, I can tell you the, the, the pivotal moment for him where he kind of decided to, to, to cover this subject was um, he, when he was young, he came across uh, in a public library, there was just a small selection of, of vinyl records. And for some strange reason, there was two very pivotal early um, electronic music records that were in this tiny little section of vinyl. Um, one of them was uh, Switched On Bach, which is the, uh, the, the Walter Carlos uh, Moog modular synthesizer record that kind of was the first record that really hit the mainstream um, to you know, let people know about synthesizers. Um, and then the other record that was in that bin was a Morton Subotnick record using the, the, the other kind of um, main 1960s modular synthesizer, which was the, the Buchla system. Um, and the Buchla system has a very, like, kind of, it looks kind of like a, like a spaceship console. It's a, you know, this was in this, in, I guess when, when the director Robert came across this record, would have been like the early 70s. And, you know, he was a young guy and he was like fascinated by, by science fiction and stuff like that. Um, and so this album cover just, you know, totally burned its way into his mind. Um, and he, you know, he later on did get into synthesizers and stuff like that and then kind of got out of it. Um, and actually recently, like a few years ago when he, um, actually his son started getting interested in electronic music and one of the artists that his son, you know, discovered early on was, uh, was Dead Mouse. And there was actually a post that Dead Mouse had made to Facebook saying like, like, yo, dudes, check out this, this wicked modular synthesizer that I picked up. And it was a Buchla. And Robert kind of, you know, this image was burned into his mind of, of this Morton Zabotnik record. And kind of, you know, he thought this was a 1960s instrument. He had no idea that, that you know, what's Dead Mouse doing with this instrument? Um, and then he sort of started looking into it, and he realized that, well, actually, the, the, um, Dead Mouse isn't using a 1960s Buchla. Buchla actually has started manufacturing these things again. And then he started looking more and, and discovered that there was um, um, a lot of new companies that were um, making modular synthesizers again. Um, and he just thought this was, was fascinating. Um, first of all, just he, he ended up buying himself a small uh, new modular system and he just uh, he's a filmmaker and he, he works on a lot of commercial productions and he actually had a little bit of money and a little bit of time to do kind of a little uh, fun project of his own and he actually thought that this would be a uh, like a, an interesting uh, subject so he just kind of it was basically seeing this this photo of Dead Mouse with a with a Buchla synthesizer that kind of triggered him to explore this subject. And you know, once he started looking into it, he saw that there's actually this huge resurgence, and he just thought it was something fascinating that he wanted to 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 document. Was didn't Bob Moog and Don Buchla work together, or were they friends or or coworkers or something? No, um, they were actually kind of. Um, Actually, in the film, what you kind of learn when, when, when we go through the history is that they were kind of doing similar things, but yet with completely different philosophies on the opposite side of the coast. Like, so, so actually, the, the, um, Bob Moog was doing this stuff in New York, um, and Don Buchla was doing this stuff um, in San Francisco, 
and they were not really even aware of each other and they actually kind of came up with two completely different um, synthesizer um, approaches which really you know were graphic you know geographically separate but also just from a different mind frame like um, basically the Moog synthesizer kind of is the one that that went on to to become the synthesizer philosophy that people developed, which was kind of like attaching a keyboard to a to a modular synthesizer, and um, you know this was the this was the synthesizer that like Keith Emerson adopted, and that was used for switched on box. So it kind of because because Bob Moe kind of thought to attach this keyboard to it, people were able to approach it like a like a like a like an instrument that you could play you know melodic music on. Whereas Buchla on the West Coast. There was no keyboard on that. It was like kind of more approaching it um, from a, you know, crazy out there. Um, let's make music. Let's make sounds that has nothing to do with you know twelve tone music. Um, and so he kind of like avoided the idea of having a, a, a keyboard on on his synthesizer, um, and you know was using this synthesizer at a lot of these kind of um, West Coast like you know San Francisco hippie. Uh, freak out events like he for example he used to t- used to take the 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 the, uh, the the Buchla system I mean Don Buchla himself would bring the system onto the uh, the Ken Casey uh, bus you know that that famous what's the, what's the name of that bus oh the electric Kool-Aid acid test exactly. bus so yes the, the soundtrack for the electric Kool-Aid acid test thing on the bus was Don Buchla you know, making weird sound effects on this, on the Buchla synthesizer. Yeah, so, now that you mention it, I remember that now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, you know, I remember the Buchla synthesizer, the, the original one, which was very much like a, a British one called the v, uh, EMS VCS-3. Oh, yeah, totally. Which was used by Roger Waters on uh, the Dark Side of the Moon album, and uh, Brian Eno used it with some of the early Roxy Music stuff. But it was this weird sort of... God, it, you know, you, you patched it together with... with, with pins. Pins, yes, with pins. Exactly. I mean, well, you know, that, that, that synthesizer, again, is coming more from the... Like, basically, you know, when people, when people who are, like, heavy-duty synth nerds uh, talk about synths, they'll often talk about West Coast synthesis versus East Coast synthesis. Of course, you know, most people who are just kind of you know like electronic music are not necessarily going to get this deep into it but basically what you know when, when you talk about uh east coast synthesis it's kind of like what what synthesizer music really did become which is like you know using synthesizers with a keyboard to play kind of like melodic poppy stuff and the west coast synthesis thing which was the, kind of the pioneered by Buchla, is this idea of like using um using a synthesizer to create the most way out atonal sounds and sound effects um and definitely that the ems synth that was adopted by uh, you know a lot of the more out there kind of 70s bands like you know um pink floyd used it but they used it for like kind of more psychedelic uh you know beds you know psychedelic kind of atmospheres and things like that you, you know there's bands like hawkwind that used those types of instruments as well and of course yeah roxy brian you know was using that in the in Roxy music and they didn't want to play like you know bass lines they wanted like crazy out there um, soundscapes well it reminds me as well of the early days of personal computers you know when you ask somebody what the first personal computer was they may be inclined to say oh it was an it was an apple 
Well, actually, no. The Altair was one of the first personal computers. You built it as a kit. It had no keyboard. It had switches. It had lights. That was the extent of it. And it took guys like Jobs and Wozniak to put a keyboard to it and put it on uh, your standard home television screen before the adoption increased sufficiently to be able to say, yes, this is, in fact, a personal computer. I, I wonder if there's a similarity there with the the evolution and the uh, the demand for a synthesizer because previously I can imagine it was the sort of thing that was limited to the wizards who could figure out how to put it together in the first place. Yeah, well, I mean, this is really what the what the what the film documents. It's kind of like um, it, these these guys came out with these modular synthesizer systems, but it was like an idea that was kind of too far ahead of its time. So we kind of um, are showing. Um, okay, here's where this idea of a synthesizer really came from, and it started off with these with these modular synthesizer systems. Um, and then we actually kind of um, explain how, you know, in order for really the synthesizer to reach um, the masses, it had to get continually kind of. I mean, this is not really the right way of putting it, but like I don't know how else to say this right now, but it had to get like dumbed down continually until it got to the point that you had a synthesizer like the one that, you know, really uh, revel which would be like the Yamaha DX7 where it's like you have buttons where you choose like piano, you know, trumpet or whatever. So basically we were kind of showing how uh, everything started off with this with this uh, this giant modular system, but it was something that people weren't ready for. And now what's going on now is that, I mean, I think that um, electronic music is now really so prevalent i mean if you listen to the charts right now everything is electronic music now i mean if you listen to uh you know hip-hop r&b and these kind of music this this is the stuff that is dominating the charts now and if you listen to it there is like it's just dominated by electronic very blatant blatantly synthesized um sounds and so there's always going to be these you know electronic music freaks that are going to want to do something even weirder and even crazier and this is kind of really a big part of why there's now a resurgence in like let's go back to this this machine which was ultimately kind of the most um the most advanced synthesizer the one that's going to give you the most sonic possibilities the one that like if you really want to customize a sound uh you know an electronic music sound that's going to be unique and that's going to be um your own you know, the modular synthesizer is going to be the, the ultimate tool for you. And I think that's why there is now um, a huge resurgence in um, people that are um, interested in picking up modular synthesizers. You're seeing more and more, um, more and more mainstream bands that are using them now. Um, so you were playing at uh, the Mog Fest. You played I, I Dream of Wires. What was the reaction like? And where does it go from here? Yeah, the reaction was great. Um, we actually, we actually, um, what we did first is about, it was in, I think, September of last year, we financed the entire film through, um, through Indiegogo, um, like crowdsourcing. Um, and for that, for that crowd, basically like the hardcore synth nerds, um, we released like a four hour cut on DVD and Blu-ray and we've actually uh, amassed quite a huge buzz on that alone. Like we've sold uh, about 8,000 copies of that film so far, the four hour nerd cut, 
So this 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 at Mofest was really the premiere of this uh, trim down cut, which is hopefully to try to you know people that are maybe not necessarily synth nerds, but that um, are interested in enough in electronic music that would, they would kind of like to get um, a, a history of um, you know this is really the story of how how the instrument came to be that that you know that you, that your people are using so much now. Well, um, so this nature... was kind of the first step of that. Sorry, go ahead. No, no I, I was just going to, to interrupt you there. Um, yeah. But uh, finish your thought, please. Oh, um, so this was the this was the premiere of that, and I mean, it actually it was a great um, it was a great um, place to do that because basically a ton of people were in town who were just electronic music fans, and I actually you know did speak to a number of people after the screen who said kind of exactly what I, you know, would have hoped is like, oh, you know, I knew about, about Moog's, you know, I know they know it's, it's Moog Fest um, and the Moog stores in town and they've seen people playing, you know, mini Moog's and we're using like um, the, the Moog synth um, app on their iPad or whatever. But I didn't, you know, I really didn't know all this other stuff. I didn't really, you know, know anything about Bukla or or any of the other kind of steps that that led up to this, um, so it seemed to you know that that's kind of the the goal of of this shorter cut is to really not not play it for people who are already geeks about this subject, but to you know people who are a little a little less um, synth nerd oriented, just who appreciate understanding the history of of, of music. And that want to get a sense of where this is all coming from. So uh, this is the, yeah we had two screenings at Moogfest and we've got uh, a, a, another screening lined up at uh, a Chicago Film Festival this coming weekend. Um, and we've got probably I think we've got about ten more screenings lined up so far. Um, so we're just going to kind of keep uh, rolling with this with these screenings um, until you know until there's no more. Uh, interest in it and then i guess we'll probably end up doing a, a you know a digital release through itunes or netflix or something like that there seems to be um quite a bit of interest you know it seems to be um we don't seem to be having a really hard time um finding an audience for this for this film which is i guess rare well all the best to you sir and i think the uh, the wi-fi and, and the crappy skype in the background it just does nothing more than pay homage to the old analog nature of yeah, your world. The buzzing sound of analog circuits, sure. Yes, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> All the best. Thanks again, Jason. Okay, thank you. Thanks.